Grievance. I love that. Nothing personal word of the day. Grievance. Why? As in Jacoby Ellsbury. Major League Baseball Players Association has filed a grievance against the New York Yankees because guess what the Yankees aren't doing? They're not paying Ellsbury. They released him. They owe him $21 million, plus five more the year after. That's a total of $26 million. And they're claiming that Ellsbury went to a doctor not certified by baseball or by the team in order to treat his bulky knee. He claims he went for a non-related baseball injury. Is that like a hangnail? I don't know what you mean, Jacoby. It is going to be very difficult for the Yankees to win this grievance. The reason why they did not pay Ellsbury, now Ellsbury has to go grieve to get it because, meanwhile, the Yankees can take the $21 million, figure out how to reinvest it. They're going to lose. Word of the day, grievance. Yankees, you got caught. Ellsbury, you still stink. James Wiseman. This is big news, and it's been a day, and I've had a lot of time to think about this. James, we talked about him on another episode of Nothing Personal. He, I remember he was fined $7,500 because that was the total amount that was given to him by Anthony Hardaway. Anthony Hardaway is, was a coach of his youth team, ended up being the college coach at Memphis, where Wiseman goes slash went. And this was movie to help his, this was money to help his family move in order to get coached by Hardaway. $7,500 cost him a suspension. And then Wiseman said, I've got an idea. I'm never coming back. He declared himself eligible for the NBA draft. This is epic. This is monumental. Why is it such a big deal to me that he's chosen to leave Memphis and enter the draft? This is exactly why we have to deal with the pay-for-play issue in the NCAA. This is exactly why we have to figure out how to tell an athlete, hey, stay in school, go to class, have someone take your final exams for you, sleep through class, don't go to final exams, whatever the case may be, why are these athletes staying in college when they can go make more money as professionals? I'm talking about the top of the top. They're for, for Division three athletes who have no chance of turning pro and they play collegiate athletics, I think it's great. But those are people who understand that they have to make sure that they're in school in order to learn how to make a living once school is done. When there are athletes who know they're going pro and know they're going to get paid a lot of money, that's why they went to school, to be in position to get paid money. If school is not helpful in that, then you move right along. So Wiseman says, I'm not going to come back from a 12-game suspension, risk getting hurt, all to help a school and to help an organization that is feeding off me, that is making tons of money off me, and the best I can hope for long after I'm done is to make a little shtuple on name, image, and likeness. That's an untenable position for these top-of-the-top players. So now if I'm the NCAA, what do I do? Well, it turns out that the NCAA has to work with the NBA, MLB, and the NFL. They need to figure out the following. Does the NCAA, do they have meaning to the professional leagues? I want to tell you what we used to talk about within Major League Baseball. You know, not a lot of players get drafted out of college. Most get drafted out of high school. And we are okay with them never going to college. We don't think about it. We put a provision in their contract when we draft a high school kid saying, hey, if you ever go back to college, we'll pay. None of them go back to college. We reserve money every year in order to make sure that if all of a sudden a kid goes to Harvard, 
that we have the money in current day cash to pay the tuition bill. That was acceptable to the union. That was an acceptable agreement that when you draft a player in the amateur draft and they skip college, don't worry, we've got you covered. Why don't they go back to college? Either they've made a living playing baseball, they don't need the money, or B, they're played minor league baseball for three, four, five years, and they don't want to be Rodney Dangerfield. That's a back-to-school reference. There are very few of my former players who ever went back. A World Series winning player, Brian Banks, went to become a dentist when he was done. He took his World Series ring, he took his World Series share, a couple hundred thousand dollars that he got, and he went to become a dentist, and he's doing great. Had another pitcher who went back to school and became a real estate agent. The majority of players do not make a permanent living playing baseball or any sport. Careers don't last long enough. They've got to find a way. The best way to do it is to make them stay in college. Wait a minute, you're saying. Why would we ever make someone stay in school? Do we have any right to tell a 19-year-old that they can't go into the world and work? When around this country, in this world, the majority of 19-year-olds have to work for a living to support their family, their parents, their siblings, sometimes their kids? I say that in professional sports, it is our responsibility that if we are going to take kids out of high school, we have got to make sure that if they have not earned a minimum amount of money, this is going to be controversial after a lot of thought, if they have not made a certain amount of money, that we have to, they have to agree to go back to school. And we have to provide tutoring, help, any sort of way to get them a college degree. Now, I've heard people argue with me, college degrees don't matter anymore. You got to go to graduate school. You can do a lot of jobs without a college degree. Well, if we rob a player of his college experience by taking him out of high school or by letting him come out after one year at Duke, let's say, We are not doing justice to these kids. Is it possible Wiseman will be the top pick in the draft? Yeah. Is it possible that he'll have life-changing money once he signs? Yeah. Did he make the right decision by skipping the rest of the Memphis school year and school and basketball team in order to turn pro? Of course. But how many people go 1-1? How many kids go in the first round? Yeah, you're right, 32 That includes some European players. The majority of student athletes need to be students first. The people who are athlete students will let them be athletes. We need to make the rules. We need to do it legislatively if we can't do it ourselves. And it certainly appears that the leagues in the NCAA have no idea how to deal with this current issue. Thank you, Baker Mayfield. I want to thank you on behalf. Merry Christmas. You know, nothing personal has been going since the middle of October. This is episode 46. Thank you so much for watching on CBS Sports HQ, for listening, for downloading, subscribing, for rating. You're following me on Twitter. I appreciate you. But Baker, you get a special thank you. You've given me, it's like you and Jerry Jones have tied for the greatest content. Here's what you did yesterday that it it blew my mind. He took to the microphone And he said, we talked about this on a previous episode, Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt is a teammate of his. Kareem Hunt, the guy who actually beat up a woman in his life, got suspended eight games, released by the Chiefs, signed by the Browns. That's the Kareem Hunt we're talking about. Kareem Hunt called out his teammates. We talked about it. Why did Baker Mayfield take the podium 
and say the following. Kareem Hunt has been in a place in Kansas City that knows how to win. So his level and standard of accountability for everybody to do their job is very high. This is the type of guy you want to bring in here. Baker, you're telling me that Kareem Hunt is the type of guy you want to be around? You're telling me that Kareem Hunt is the example of accountability that you're looking for? This is the Kareem Hunt who has suspended eight games for domestic violence and violating any sort of decency, any sort of code of decency, to say nothing of a crime. But in our society, you only get charged with the crime if actually there are witnesses who will testify against you. We have video, but the state did not want to pursue it. There is video of what you did. Then you get reinstated. You get signed by the Browns. That Brown team goes to hell in a handbasket. You then call out your teammates and Baker Mayfield. You're going to back him up. You're going to say that he's the level of accountability, the standard that we want. And you want to know why the Browns are in trouble and why they never win, why they're favored to win the AFC North. And then they do have the type of season they have. Because I guess character to them doesn't matter. And I guess they put a group of players together who don't exactly work well. Yes, I'm talking about you too, Odell, and Jarvis, and Baker, and Kareem. I'm talking about all of you. Yeah, I'm happy you provided me content. But I want to know how you take the stage. You take a microphone, and you list Kareem Hunt as the guy who you look toward? Makes me crazy. I got a better idea for you, Baker. Why don't you take the microphone and say this? Say, you know, we've got people on this team who are opening their mouths and they're saying things that I don't appreciate. We want to keep things in-house. We want to be better as an organization and we want to be accountable to each other. We want to make sure when there are problems that we talk about them in our own clubhouse, that we never air our public dirty laundry. I want to communicate with you as fans. I want you to love our team and I want you to be proud of our team. We are the Cleveland Browns and we represent Cleveland. We're a working class team and we want to do better. We will do better. Why couldn't you ever say that, Baker? Rip Hamilton, I get to work with him at CBS Sports HQ. I haven't seen him yet today. Former NBA player. I watched him play for so long. I loved him when he had to wear the mask. I think he broke his face and he had to wear a a mask. He always looked like Phantom of the Opera when he played. He just had the ability to always get to the hole. I, I, I love you, Rip. I, you're a great analyst here at CBS Sports HQ. Congratulations. You're on the ballot. Uh, you've been on the ballot for uh, as a potential inductee to the Basketball Hall of Fame before. This is not personal, Rip. I don't think you're getting into the Hall of Fame this year. To me, you are one of the best players I ever saw, but not a Hall of Famer right now. It's a crowded ballot, and it just got released. I want to talk about the ballot. It's amazing what they do in basketball. Remember Tim Duncan? When did he last play, Coca? He'll get in my ear. I think he played last year, two years ago at most. He is on the ballot as a potential inductee. This year, you've got Kobe Bryant. Has it been three years since Duncan played? I can't even believe that. You've got Kobe Bryant. You've got Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, Chris Bosh. You've got four surefire first ballot Hall of Famers. How about that for a class? Then you've got Rip Hamilton, Chris Weber, Tim Hardaway, bubble candidates, Ben Wallace, a bubble candidate. You've got actually Harvey Catching's daughter, I think. Catching's the, the woman player. You also have Becky Hammonds, the assistant coach. 
bunch of coaches. Dick Mott is on the ballot. Tony Kukoc is on the international ballot. Why does the NBA do it this way? And why? what can the MLB, the MLB, what can MLB learn from this? The rule in Major League Baseball says that you get on the ballot for the first time when you've been out of the game for five consecutive years. That is why Derek Jeter is on the ballot for the first time this year and why he will be what's called a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's a big deal in baseball to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's a lot of pomp and circumstance when they release the ballot. Who's on the ballot? Who stays on the ballot? Baseball does an incredible job of this. Why is it that with the NBA that no one knows the answer? I live here in a studio at CBS Sports in Fort Lauderdale. I love this studio. I love the people. A show of hands for anyone in the studio. Do you, anyone here know the rule of how you get onto the NBA ballot in the Hall of Fame? I've got 12 people, 22 people. I've got NBA. This, these guys do sports for a living. Not one hand is raised. Does anyone know how you get on the ballot in baseball? I've got Jacob raising his hand. The rest of the people are too scared. Baseball is easy, right? You get on the ballot, there's writers. They put you on the ballot. If you don't get 5% of the vote, you're off the ballot. Many people in sports know this rule. What's the rule in the NBA? When do you get off the ballot? How many times can you appear? In baseball, you're there for 10 years. In basketball, I don't know. This is a cry to the NBA and to Adam Silver. Your Hall of Fame is outstanding in Springfield. You've got a history in your league that is so important for kids to know. You've got players who are current players who people remember. We talked about it and we will talk about it. Kobe Bryant is still as popular as ever. He is more popular than Derek Jeter. Yet the fact that Kobe Bryant is on going into your Hall of Fame this year is not getting the amount of attention that MLB's Hall of Fame gets. And the reason for that is I don't think you make it clear enough what are the parameters. What is it? How many times can Rip Hamilton, my guy, how many times can he appear on the ballot? What are we looking for in terms of votes? We know in baseball you need 75% of the vote to be a Hall of Famer. What is it in basketball? This is about PR and about communication. This is what leagues need to do better and what I spent a lot of my time when I was in baseball for all that time trying to get the league to communicate with its fan base, to try to increase the level of knowledge, not found through Google or Wikipedia, but through our voices that comes from our PR people, that we get to explain to our fans what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we think about what we think about. But the problem in sports in general, in leagues specifically, is they're so used to doing things the way they've been done. They're so used to living in their little bubble that they don't realize there's an entire world of possibility just outside the bubble. Now, we're trying to exploit the revenue side of that by all of the expansion internationally, by playing games internationally, by doing everything we can to grow the business internationally. But when it's not revenue related, we tend to not care. My vote is let's care more about the Hall of Fame because I could draw a very quick map how interest in the Hall of Fame can lead to people talking more about your sport and about your players, can lead to increased revenue, which then can lead to a healthier league, which then leads to a higher level of asset appreciation for the value of your teams. Kobe, Garnett, Duncan, Bosch, you're Hall of Famers. You know who's not a Hall of Famer quite yet? Rui Hachimura. I got it right. Rui Hachimura. Do you know who that is? He's not Ichiro, but he wants to be Ichiro. 
He's a Japanese-born NBA player who was drafted by the Wizards. He's the first, I believe, the first Japanese-born player to be drafted in the first round in the history of the NBA. This is major. He very well could be the best player on the Washington Wizards right now. Why is this interesting to me and why am I making it interesting to you? Because wouldn't you guess the Washington Wizards are now using Rui Hachimura to try to gain a foothold in Japan. Does anyone have a problem with that? Because I don't. It's brilliant. If you're going to have a player who is Japanese, your job is to exploit that player. Your job is to do anything you can to become popular in a market. Hey, uh, Ruben is just walking back in. I just wanted him to know because he's been helping me with the name. We got Rui Hachimura perfectly down both times. I've said it like four times. I'm going to keep saying Rui Hachimura. So what do the Wizards do? When you sit down in a draft room and you're thinking about who to take, we've talked about this with Luka, why the Mavericks took Luka. They knew how to exploit him. They knew how to make him feel comfortable. When you have an opportunity to take Hachimura, you can't take him in a vacuum. You have to take him and have a plan. Forget the fact that they fired Ernie Grunfeld, a good friend. It's very disappointing. Long-standing executive who was let go by Leonsis, the owner of the Wizards. But when the Wizards drafted Hachimura, their plan was to try to figure out how to be popular in Asia. Do you think that we didn't do that when we signed Ichiro? We offered Ichiro to become a Marlin knowing he was past his prime. We went to Japan. That's a story for another show. We went to Japan for 48 hours to do a press conference for Ichiro in Tokyo. It was like walking around with a guy with the Beatles, with John Lennon and Paul McCartney. That's how famous Ichiro is in Japan. Ichiro came with a lot of media, and we sold signage to Japanese companies. We did sponsorship deals with Japanese companies for the sole reason that fans in Japan were now Marlins fans. Can you imagine the times that I've been lucky enough to go to Tokyo, and it's been multiple times, that there are people who walk around with Marlins hats and Marlins jerseys? It's incredible. And it's for one reason only, because we had Ichiro. Now the Wizards are trying to make it so the people recognize Hachimura and that people associate him with Washington. What kind of dollars are we talking about here? Well, for the Marlins, I would tell you that it was about, let's say, a million dollars all in is what I would say our benefit was on a cash basis. But in terms of brand awareness and in terms of what it meant to have Ichiro on our team, it's hard to measure that. But I certainly thought that it was in the tens of millions of dollars in terms of value to our team to have Japan so entrenched as Marlins fans, as Ichiro fans. The problem is we had Ichiro past his prime and we only had him for several years. Why is it that James Harden, Kobe Bryant, Stefan Marbury, these LeBron James, these players, Yao Ming, obviously he's Chinese, these players are so big in China. You've got Hideki Mitsui, the Japanese baseball player, played for the Yankees, still so big in Japan. Then Ichiro is the king, the number one. Ichiro is actually going to be on the currency. Can you imagine that? They voted Ichiro. He almost beat the emperors to appear on currency in Japan. That's how big he was. But what I wanted to always know is what length would I go to to promote? Would I sign a player to an out-of-bounds contract? Meaning if Hachimura is not as good as we think he's going to be, and he could end up being the best. How long do you keep him if you're the Wizards in order to keep the Japanese ties going? 
The answer is if you are a good team, you make more money by winning than by getting into foreign markets. If you can be a good team with a foreign-born player, that's called Yahtzee. But if you've, you don't hold on to a foreign-born player simply for the money that you gain by getting that foothold into Japan. It didn't work for us with Ichiro because we couldn't win with Ichiro. Am I proud of what we did? Am I proud of the relationship that we had in Japan? Of course I am. Am I thankful for the relationship I still have with Ichiro? Of course. Do I think it's strange that the Wizards drafted Achimura? No, he was one of the, he could have been the top pick in the whole draft. We knew back in school that he was going to be this good. But for the Wizards to take advantage, they've got to go the extra step. Get on the plane and get to Tokyo. If you want a foothold there, people deal differently in Japan than they do in the States. First of all, it's OCD heaven. There's no handshaking. It's just bowing. You don't even need hand sanitizer. My hand never touched anybody any time I've ever been to Japan. Heaven. Number two, it's about knowing their culture, respecting their culture. They're more than happy to have you exploit them for money as long as you're respectful of their culture, as long as you understand what they do, why they do it, how they do it. So if you're the Wizards, don't just think you're going to waltz in and start printing dollars because Hachimura's on your team. If you go in with respect, with a plan, and with deference, then you have an opportunity to cash in. I love working with Coca. I just don't love his tastes in movies. I watched Six Underground last night. He watched it before. He told me not to see it. He said it was terrible. So I'm not going to listen to him. Of course, I'm going to watch it. Six Underground is a made-for-Netflix movie directed by an action director named Michael Bay. He's the guy who makes all these movies where it's just one action scene to the next. I'm blanking right now. I want to say he did Armageddon, but I could be wrong. Maybe Coca can correct me. Name some of the some of the Michael Bay movies. He's just a total action guy. I'm thinking Con Air. It's movies like that. Six Hundred Ground has Ryan Reynolds in it. Now Ryan Reynolds is someone who, ever since Deadpool, he's become this interesting action star who's also incredibly witty and has banter back from his Van Wilder days. Yes, that's a throwback reference to Ryan Reynolds. I'm not talking Green Lantern. I'm talking further back when we just knew Ryan Reynolds was a good-looking guy doing funny movies. Well, it turns out that marrying Blake Lively after being married to Scarlett Johansson is not the only thing that Ryan Reynolds is good at. He's good at being good and funny and writing movies. The problem with Six Underground, it doesn't give Ryan Reynolds enough time to breathe. It goes from one action sequence to the next. It is two hours and three minutes of straight action. There's no break. And they try to work in clever lines, well-written lines, but you can't even listen to them before it's the next car crash or the next explosion. Melanie Laurent's in the movie. How can you not like a movie with Melanie Laurent? She speaks perfect French. She speaks some French in the movie. She's a great actress. You remember from Inglorious Bastards. A little-known fact, have you seen Inglorious Bastards? If you have, that's the movie where Melanie Laurent learned how to speak English. She didn't speak a word of English before that movie. Can you imagine that now she speaks it with this perfect Parisian French accent? She's wonderful in this movie. I loved it. It was a good two hours of time. But this is called a PM for me. And for people watching and listening to Nothing Personal, here's what a PM is. It's a plane movie. 
Doesn't mean you have to get on a plane to watch it. But a plane movie is a movie that I wouldn't necessarily go to a theater for. I wouldn't make it appointment viewing and say on a Saturday night, I'm going to sit down and watch Six Underground. It's when you're stuck in a place, there's nothing you can do, and you've got 123 minutes to spare, to spare and to spend. Then Six Underground will pass the time perfectly. So Coca, I give it about a 6.4 on my scale of 10, 1 to 10. It's fine. It's not horrible. It's not going to win any Academy Awards. But would I suggest seeing it? If you have nothing else going on, I'd suggest that over a bunch of other stuff Coca tells me to see. That's for sure. One of the things that has been uh, interesting for me to think about has been uh, I've told you that I was always jealous of the Tampa Bay Rays, and I have been. When I ran the Marlins, we always looked to see what Tampa was doing. We always focused a lot on the moves they were making, and it was not, we were trying to follow them. We were trying to understand how they made decisions. I would talk all the time with their team president. I'd talk with their team owner, Sue Sternberg. Our GMs would talk because we'd admit the fact that they did a better job of having a better team with a smaller payroll than we did. The key to success, and it's hard, is to trade a player a year too early instead of a year too late. I was so good at trading players a year too late. It was one of my specialties. Because I always said, just hang on. Hang in there. One more year of this guy. We're going to get it. We're going to make the playoffs again. We'll have a chance for a second ring. Well, the Cleveland Indians have a decision to make with their shortstop, Lindor. Lindor's getting a lot of press. The Indians have come out and said that there's a deadline. If they're going to trade him, they're going to do it by the end of the weekend. I guess they don't want to work Christmas. Some of my best deals were done on Christmas. So they are shopping Lindor, and they've been criticized by certain media outlets, but the media people and the fans criticizing the Indians for trading Lindor, they don't know anything about baseball. They are fans of the game who want to be in the front office. They'll never be in the front office. They're members of the media who are jealous of people in the front office, jealous of Chris Antonetti, the president of baseball operations, of Mike Chernoff, the GM, jealous that they don't have those jobs. And guess what? If you're criticizing Cleveland, you'll never be in a baseball front office because you have no idea what you're talking about. Let me give you the facts. Lindor's going to make about 15 large in arbitration. Next year, it could go even higher, 21, 22. The Cleveland Indians, yes, they've been competitive in the Central. Competitive? They've been winning the Central every year until last year. They didn't get a ring The window is now closed. A team like Cleveland understands that the world that they live in has ups when the window opens, downs when the window closes, and then ups when the window opens. The smartest people know when their window is closing, and they shut it. What I used to do is shove my entire body into the window pane, trying to keep the window open, desperate for one more more season trying to figure out, is there a way that I can get one more victory out of a player? You know, when you're trying to open that window, you hold it up and then it snaps down and it breaks your hand. Well, it snapped on my hand every time. The Indians said, not me, not today. I know that I don't have the team anymore. Our team got expensive. So of course you trade Lindor now, because if you keep him on your team, you'll probably be competitive until next year's trade deadline. 
And then you'll feel too much pressure because you'll say, hey, you'll delude yourself into thinking we can make the playoffs. So you won't trade him then. Then he's entering his final year before free agency and his value is going down. So what we would do is we would try to take a player and decide, are we going to ride him all the way to free agency? Will we keep him the first six years of his career? If we do, then we're not going to trade him. We just ride him and let him leave him free agency. But if we're not going to sign him as a free agent, then we're going to trade him exactly when he's got two years left, exactly what Lindor did. That's what we would try to do. The Indians are trying the same thing. But their owner and their team president, our owner was great. Me as a team president, maybe I got too emotional with players. But I can tell you what the Indians are is not emotional about Lindor. They know they'll get the maximum return right now for him. I give them all the credit in the world. If I'm a Twins fan, I'm thrilled. If I'm a White Sox fan, I'm thrilled. Because the Indians are going into a period of closed window. It doesn't take away from the run they had. Ring or no ring. They took great advantage of this group of players, and they'll have more. Uh, CeCe Sabathia's career ended this past season. And uh, were were you bothered? Did you watch CeCe Sabathia during the World Series and during the LCS? It made me crazy, actually. He was trying to come back from an injury, totally ineffective, way past his prime. That's not even the word for it. I mean, he, he couldn't pitch anymore. Totally ineffective. And he was making a ton of early morning media appearances. He was doing the morning shows, making the rounds. I remember one day, it was a day he wasn't pitching, but he was on the air at like 7 in the morning. Well, it turns out that CeCe Sabathia is now a free agent who is thinking of joining the media full-time. There are some athletes who have transitioned incredibly well. The first one who would come to mind would obviously be Charles Barkley. What about John Smoltz? He made the transition. I think CeCe Sabathia has a chance to be good. But what makes an athlete good who joins the media so soon after a playing career? What makes it hard is that the majority of these athletes do not want to be truthful about people who they shared a locker room with. They don't want to be truthful about current day athletes. If you are not willing to tell the truth when a former teammate is mailing it in, when a former teammate is not playing well, when a former teammate has said something wrong or done something wrong. If you're not willing to do that, guess what? You will not be impactful as a member of the media. No one will pay attention to you. Why does Charles Barkley get so much attention? Because he says anything. And the funny part about what he says is that it's always true and outrageous. I don't need C.C. Sabathia to be that sort of cartoon character. But I do need to know from him that if he's going to join the media, that he's willing, just be willing to be honest with your fans. Be honest with people watching you because you're starting to build credibility and to build credibility, you've got to say what's real. I want to talk about uh, for a minute Shohei Otani. And the reason I do is something came up that uh, it's just wrong. And my job is to tell you That's what nothing personal is, is I decode things. I tell you when things are not real. Uh, The Angels released something saying that Otani is finished with his throwing program and that he's done rehabbing for Tommy John. Well, that's not accurate. When a player has Tommy John, here's how it works. First, they walk around for many months in a cast with their elbow locked. They have a scar right here. If you're not watching, I'm drawing a scar sort of that covers my elbow on the inside of my elbow. My arm is in a locked position in some sort of sling contraption. Incredibly uncomfortable to wear. 
Slowly you get the sling off, then you do strengthening exercises. I'm moving my wrists around. I'm moving my arm around. Then you start to throw. You don't throw breaking balls. You start just with fastballs. Then you graduate and you actually get on a mound. Then you start throwing your breaking balls. All of this is progression. It's called, some of you call it a throwing program. I call it rehab from Tommy John. Rehab from Tommy John will not finish for another year for Shohei Otani. Because when he comes back for the Angels, if you think, and Artie Moreno, if you're out there thinking that you're going to go with Julio Tehran and Andrew Heaney, and you're going to stay with that mediocre rotation, but Otani's going to be your ace, it's not going to happen. You've already said it best. You're going to pitch him once a week. You can't be an ace pitching once a week. Number two, he's going to have an innings limit. Number three, he's going to be ineffective to begin the season in 2020. I guarantee it. Bullpen arms have a chance to be effective right after their rehab. They're in. They're quick. They can get their velocity back. When you're coming back from Tommy John as a starter, it's very hard to build length. And to be an effective starter, even in today's day and age game, you've got to be able to go six innings at minimum. You've got to be able to throw 100 pitches. Now, granted, in this day, you've got pitchers who are throwing 100 pitches in four innings. Very few people get wins because they can't even pitch out of the fifth inning into the sixth. I get it. But with Shohei Otani, when you're expecting him to also hit, Joe Madden said he's going to DH him on days he's not pitching, and he may even hit him on days that he is pitching. That would be a true two-way player to eliminate the DH on days when he's pitching. I love it. Here's the problem. Coming out of Tommy John the way he is, all of April and May is going to be a wash for Shohei Otani on the mound. He's going to need eight to ten starts just to get his sea legs back. But when you tell your fans, hey, Otani completed throwing his rehab. He's completed his program. Done with Tommy John. You've raised the level of expectation to your fan base, thinking that he's going to be back to normal. It's not the case. <sighs> what am I going to do with Antonio Brown? I, I, I just... I, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because when someone is so talented, and uh, he's good, it's just such a waste he can't get out of his own way. I got to read you something. I'm just going to read you what he said, and I'm going to ask you what your view is, and then I'm going to tell you my view. Someone had tweeted about something. doesn't matter what. He then retweeted, and he said the following. If I beat my kid with a belt, it better be a with Louis belt, exclamation point. I got beat with some cheap belts. SMH, which means shaking my head. Cheap scapes. This is Antonio Brown. This is a guy currently without a team. This is a guy who's been having grievances with the NFL, signed by the Patriots, released by the Patriots. He needs a team and a place to play. He then goes public on Twitter. First of all, can we not talk about the fact that it's Antonio it's a cheap skate, not cheap scape. That's not even a typo. That's you not even knowing the expression that you're using. Can't you have someone check your tweets before you send it? One time, can't you possibly have someone look and say, you know what? 
AB, I'm not so sure that saying that you have a proclivity proclivity toward child abuse, that that may be a good move for you when you can't find a team. One time, can't you look for typos and tell someone like AB that it's called the cheapskate if you're going to send the tweet out? AB is self-destructive and it's going to cost him his career. If you're a team, if I'm the president of any National Football League team, you think I want this surus? There's your Yiddish word of the day, surus. That means, do you think I want these problems? You think I want to sign a guy, A, who's given the league problems, B, who gave the Patriots problems, and they'll take anybody, C, who then tweets about the fact that he wants to beat his kid. If he beat his kid, he would use a Louis Vuitton belt. Is that supposed to be funny? Here's a hint, A.B. Tweeting about child abuse is not funny. Tweeting about the fact that you want to use a belt that only rich people can afford to then beat your kids, that's not funny either. To not write in English, I don't find that funny either. So when I look at the tweet you sent, I just wonder, are you being self-destructive on purpose? Or is this an accident? And if this is an accident, are you not surrounding yourself with anyone who's willing to tell you that maybe you're not perfect? Or are you one of those athletes who surrounds himself with psychophants, who only will have people around to agree with everything you do, who only will have people around to tell you that everything's okay, that you look the best of anyone in the room, that you're the richest person of anyone in the room, that you're with the most beautiful people of anyone in the room, and that everything you text and say is perfect. Well, A.B., if that's who you're with, I'd find yourself a new crowd because they're leading you wrong. If you're trying to play in this National Football League ever again, a tweet like that gets you further and further away. So... You want to talk to Samson. I like this segment. I appreciate the people. You follow me on Twitter at David P. Samson. Thank you. You can DM me with the topic anytime, and I'll try to answer when I can, and I try to work them in. So this was an interesting one. You guys are paying attention to my picks, which I like because we keep winning. But this was a – someone had a question um, about what season was, uh, was the most disappointing to me. And they wanted to know which of my 18 years in baseball, um, which, which one bothered me the most. And people would think I'd say 2012 because of it was the first year in the ballpark and how badly it went and the big trade that we had to do, a big trade with Toronto. That's not the season that bothered me the most. The one that did was actually the 2005 season. For those of you old enough to remember, we won the World Series in 2003, made some changes in 2004. We Pudge left for free agency to become a Detroit Tiger. We traded Derek Lee to the Cubs and brought back Hesop Choi. We then traded Hesop Choi and got Paul LaDuca to be our catcher because we needed a catcher after losing Pudge. We had Juan Pierre, Luis Castillo were still on the team from the 03 World Series. We had Mike Lowell and Jeff Conine, A.J. Burnett and Josh Beckett, Dontrell Willis and Miguel Cabrera. We signed Al Leiter to a free agent one-year deal. We had a team... We were favored to be either a wild card or win the NL East. We were going to have a chance to repeat second World Series in three years. At the time, and still to this day, the Marlins have never lost a playoff series. They've only made the playoffs twice, 97, ran the table, won a ring. 03, ran the table, won a ring. Haven't been in the playoffs since. In 2005, we had a veteran team. We had a veteran manager, Jack McKeon. And the problem is we had a team that felt as though they could turn it on whenever they wanted to. 
They were a team that did not take spring training seriously. And I wasn't nervous because the veterans told me, because I spoke to them, I would go to the clubhouse and say, listen, I'm not sure I understand the atmosphere around here. We're acting like we already are playing in October. Don't we have to win some games? And I was always told, don't worry, we're going to be fine. Start off the season slowly. Don't worry, we're going to be fine. Out of a playoff position as we head into the summer. Don't worry, we're going to be fine. Head into September, competing for the wild card. Don't worry, we're going to be fine. We weren't fine. We didn't make the playoffs. The single most disappointing season of my life because I didn't stand up and say what I should have said, wanted to say, and knew I needed to say. I needed to grab these players by the wrist and say, boys, if you think that you can just turn it on and start winning, you're not familiar with how baseball works or any sport. You've got to want it during the regular season. I started thinking about this and wanted to cover this topic watching the Bucks beat the Lakers last night. The Lakers are a team that is not taking for granted the fact that they want to win another title with LeBron, that they're the, the most storied franchise in all of the NBA. They're trying to win every regular season game. And then the announcer said something that fascinated me. The announcer said the Lakers have a goal this year that to never lose back-to-back games. Of course, they ended up losing back-to-back by losing to the Bucks last night. We covered our pick of the day hit. But the Lakers get it. And the Lakers have leadership who gets it. They want to get Anthony Davis's first ring. LeBron wants to be the leader of another group of, another franchise, another group of players to get a ring. And he knows to do it. You've got to take every practice, every play, every possession, every game seriously. Our team in 2005 didn't do it. And the problem with saying that you're going to turn it on is all of a sudden you go and you have no gas. The whole starting mechanism has totally atrophied. The whole edge that you need as an athlete has disappeared because you said to yourself, we're fine, we're good. What makes athletes good is wanting it more than anyone else. They want it to the point like Michael Jordan, he's going to step on your neck while he's scoring 50 on you. He's not going to help you up like Pat Riley taught the Knicks in the 80s and 90s. 90s. He's not going to, if you help another team's player up, you get fined. We're going to want it. We're going to want it badly. The Lakers do. My Marlins in 05 did not. Thank you for wanting to talk to Samson. I enjoy it. Pick of the day. The uh, We keep winning, so I'm going to keep going. Um, Golden State, we picked against the Pelicans this week and we won. I'd like to understand how it is that the Pelicans are actually giving points. I just want to know that the Pelicans are on the road playing a professional team. Now, I grant you the Warriors are not a good team. There's no Thompson. There's no Green. I think he's still hurt. There's certainly no Curry. There's no Durant. He's hurt on the Nets. They're an ordinary team now. But I know who the Pelicans have. I know they're one of the worst teams in basketball. I cannot imagine that they actually have to give points on the road. I'm taking the Warriors, home team getting one and a half. This is a give me. I'm staying up late to watch it because I'm going to celebrate ending what I think may have been a perfect week, but Coco will have to tell me. We may have lost the Monday night game. Did the Ravens lose? Was that Monday night when they when the Ravens blew out the Colts and we had the Colts plus nine and a half? Was it the Saints? 
did we win or lose that pick? We won the Ravens. We got smoked on the Saints pick. We did lose one. I lost the Ravens pick two. A Coca- Wait a minute. Are you saying that I'm undefeated? That was a week ago. So the, the, the rule is this. I think that I can tell you. Fade me in football, but follow me in basketball. Okay, wait to see. We've had, we've had a conversation about wait to sees. None of them have happened yet. When they do, I tell you whether they're right or wrong. My wait to see is about Lindor. Uh, I know the Indians' front office. This is a give me. The Indians will end up trading Lindor. They're not going to pay attention to the negativity that surrounds it. They're going to do the right thing. The reason why the Indians will always do this is they know that in order to maximize value, you have to trade a player at the perfect time. This offseason where teams are frothing at the mouth to get better. They're signing players to huge contracts. This is time when you get Lindor traded, you stock your system, you get ready for your next window. Wait to see Indians trade Lindor because they know one thing for sure, and that is it's always just business. It's nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.